Hello, everyone, and welcome back. It's Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 226. And I'm uh, trying to catch up to when I was too, I couldn't speak <laughs> because of the whatever this virus thing going around is. I didn't have COVID. To my knowledge, I've never had it as far as I know, but I used to live in the middle of nowhere. Now I don't, so I pay a little bit more attention. But anyway, um, I'm trying to make up some, and I had several conversations over the last while that sort of really have prompted me to uh, to do the podcast that I'm going to do today. And I've had several people tell me that the name of the podcast, Training the Pointing Labrador, um, is, is a little misleading because it has a lot more to do with a lot of other things than just... Uh, a retriever that points in the upland field and that's true uh, and I don't who knows what's going to come but I just owe so much to that world when I wrote the hardback book uh, the hardback book that's out now training the pointing Labrador when I wrote that I had it reviewed by some of the best retriever trainers arguably the best <laughs> retriever trainers in the country and always now I'm waiting for some, oh, you know, you should emphasize this a little more, this a little less, or whatever. They, I always got, you should change the name. <laughs> you should take the pointing thing out of there and go ahead and just make it a book, and then you can have your little pointing chapter in there. And I never, I never did that. You know, and it might have been good advice. Might have sold a hundred times more books than I have now. I don't know. But I just felt like... Um, those dogs and the hours I've spent with them and the things that I've learned and the wonderful times that I've had because of them, I owed it to them. Um, so I don't you know, it might cost me a lot of income, it might cost me some respect or whatever it is, I don't, but I just don't care because those dogs, I've probably learned more from those dogs about everything in the world uh, than just about anything else. So it's still going to stay training the pointing Labrador. Today it's not going to have necessarily anything to do with pointing or upland. Um, because I think there's a topic, it's, it's very relevant in today's world for us um, because of so many of the things going on and it's uh, and I bring, I've brought this up a number of times. If you've listened to me over the last couple hundred ones of these things, you will have heard it time to time. But I'm not sure that I've, I've brought it up enough, or maybe not clearly enough. But it's a mental health thing. And we all know about people and mental health. You know, now we've got Prince Harry over here from the royalty in, in the UK. And he's talking about mental health and the problems in his life. You know, he's royalty. And, it, and it's, it's everywhere and it's all of us, many of us to varying degrees. Uh, it's not a really unknown thing. That's not my area of expertise and not something I'm going to talk about. But I do want people to understand that, that um, mentally sophisticated animals that are not human, to a degree have a lot of the same kinds of things and by that I mean I don't mean they have mother issues and they, shoot they probably do but I mean it, their world is a little different than ours they're not supposed to have this perfect nuclear family matter of fact their mom kind of whoops up on them 
how whenever they do something out of line. But animals have organically different things going on in their head. Some are just the coolest, most normal, most straightforward, easy dogs to train, easy dogs to have. You know, and you're kind of going, what's everybody's problem, man? Isn't that hard? There's, there's dogs like that in, in most breeds, probably virtually all of them. I think the ones that are really, really, really <clears throat> inbred may have a few more issues. Just like if you, you know, have a really inbred royal family, <laughs> you might have more issues. I don't know. But <clears throat> so that does lend itself to be a little bit of a problem. Or when you have a real small uh, gene population, if you're one of the lucky ones that's not a real popular uh, breed in the United States, so you just get the puppy mills take you over. Or, ladies and gentlemen, what they're doing with some of these little mixed breed trendy thingies that seem to cost more than a purebred and everybody thinks so cool. Um, when you start kind of messing with nature's intent, usually there is a, a price to pay because, you know, Mother Nature usually knows best what's happening. But animals can have different kinds of ways of thinking different um, emotional states, different different stuff going on up there. You know, and I, the people stuff I can relate to or understand when people talk about it because I'm a people. And I, I, my mind works somewhat similarly to most other people's in some ways. But I can't immediately uh, relate to a dog because I'm not one. You know, I've spent probably more time than almost anybody else with them. And so I do, I, you know, through learning and watching and consistency I can tell stuff but I'm not one of them and they have different things going on in their heads which brings me to the two-part purpose of today's podcast and one is um, one is when uh, the mental condition of your dog and you know they suffer from trauma like we do they suffer from a poor upbringing like like we do um, a matter of fact and they, they have a shorter time in which they get formed and they get matured and so a lot of times stuff that happens in a in a rough upbringing of a puppy a neglected one or, or worse bad things happened or or something that I find equally as cruel is when you're just one of ten gazillion so there's never any unique identity. You are nothing more than a gang member. You know, when somebody has a ton of puppies and lots of stuff and they're just all out in the middle of stuff, there's a lot that's lost there in the development in those key times between six and eight weeks, you know, up to six, seven, eight months. When they're just in a big gang thing, that almost becomes who most of them are. And so when you try to go in there and reach that cooperation team thing, it can be very difficult. But I want people to be aware of, I want to say the human aspect. There is not a human aspect to them. But I'm going to use that word anyway. To look at the heart and soul of this dog and understand that they aren't a dog bot. They aren't just one of many that's just, just uh, stamped out. And that you just kind of get somebody to tell you the right things to do. And then you go do them and then they do what you want. And then everybody gets what they want. That's not how this works. 
That's not at all how this works. Again, if you get one of those dogs, and I've known a couple in my life that were, um, it just didn't get any easier. I remember one of the first dogs I ever force fetched when I started back a long time ago. <laughs> when and I, it, it was his black lab, and he had great breeding. And he, I put the bumper in his mouth and, and said, you know, bumped him on the chin and said, hold it. Now I am by no means do I even really have a clue what I'm doing. But I knew what the end result was, and I'd seen how you're supposed to do it. And I put it in there, and he just held it. And he's like, hold it, okay. You know, I was like, ah, this stuff's not hard. And then he needs to learn to walk and heal and sit and do his obedience with him. And I'm telling you, in the same first day, he's like, walk and heal and sit and do obedience with it? Okay. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm brilliant. I am amazing. This dog's pretty good, but look at me. Look at what I'm doing. And then with a, just a little bit, I'm an air pincher, a little bit of an air pinch. She taught him, if I tell you to fetch, go get it. And within a couple of days, the dog is reaching and picking stuff up off the ground. All right, so of course I think, I'm a young person, very young, and uh, not a kid, but almost a kid. And I'm just thinking, this force fetch stuff, man, this isn't too hard at all. And frankly, uh, the, the next couple that I did, they were all field trial dogs, really, really well-bred field trial dogs. And uh, they were not that good, but close. You know, it might have taken a week or two, and they were fetching stuff off the ground. And uh, it, it was amazing. And, and so, you know, I thought, heck, this retriever stuff's way easier than some of that other obedience stuff I've been doing since I was a kid. thought it was real easy, and I thought these dogs were, um, you know, I thought it was... Uh, this just isn't very hard and these dogs had been raised well they had great great pedigrees right they were they knew what they were doing they had highly motivated dogs highly motivated and it was great it was really great and so that's how I thought you force fetch dogs and then when I started training other people's dogs and maybe dogs that had, hadn't had that much time and effort and years put into the development in their pedigree. When I began to find out that uh, it's not like that. Now, let's fast forward a lot of decades since then. Right, and I've literally force-fetched hundreds and hundreds, I don't even know how many, of these dogs. And now when I go into it, now that I actually do know a little bit more than I did way back then, um, I just have to find out what I've got first, right? And then respond to that, understand what I've got, and knowing the various ways that you can approach this, getting going. So my point is that dogs have, you know, some are great like those. I hope y'all get one like that because there's nothing more fun than training a really motivated, really willing good learner that just says show me how and I'll, I'll give you my best shot but that's a very tiny percent of what we have in the dog population we have dogs that are just not quite that way not quite that quick they may might not be quite that motivated they might not like the person they're with that much or really anybody that much they might not care and then sometimes, folks, and this is very important, sometimes they might not be seeing, thinking, and feeling stuff the way that you think they are. 
for a lot of reasons. They could be something to do with an upbringing or some things that happened or their mom constantly beat them up. It's something that happened. Or it could be something else. And it could be something just like with people that's just organically present in the way that they see and perceive a process. And every single individual dog, just like every single individual human, has the way it is, has the kind of inside that it has, has the self-identity that it has, has a certain perspective right, wrong, or whatever, it has its perspective. And that's how it sees the world, perceives the world, perceives its role in it, and interacts with it. And it might be really good, like the ones I described, or it might be really something that you don't have never seen before, or don't understand, or don't expect. And I've seen this happen, done it myself. I, that's how why I know because I've done it myself in all the dogs that I've trained where I misread a situation. Well, this dog just doesn't something. You know, I had some brilliant conclusion because it's. I used to be so much better when I started than I am now. I knew so much more then than I do now. And I knew that this dog just needed to be made to do this stuff. Or the dog was just... Um, manipulating or it's whatever what I can't remember anymore I don't think that way anymore but I approached this because I was going to prevail over this animal and its obvious defects and pretty much that will always backfire just like it does with humans if you have a, a human being a, a, a young person who appears to be entirely disinterested in school um, and has no interest in impressing you by getting good grades, right? Now, no real interest in sports or music or anything, and it's like, oh, good Lord, what's wrong with this kid, right? They have no interest in anything. They feel that they're this way, they're that way. And, and so you might try, and I know this, actually. I went through this a little bit with my kids because they both had some issues that I had never encountered before in my own personal family. And... Uh, my kids are smart. They're both real educated. And, they, you know, now they, they're, they've made it. They do good stuff. But there was a point when I was like, oh, my God. I, either they just I have no interest in anything. Um, uh, they're always into sports. But they, they have no interest in this. They don't care. Oh, my gosh. I can't have a child that isn't going to go to school, that doesn't get good grades. Oh, all of my ancestors will roll over in their graves. This is just terrible, right? And I just didn't know what to do. And I tried all the obvious stuff, you know, pulling them out of sports. And, well, you can't go do this. Nothing worked. Absolutely nothing worked. Long story short, turned out both of them had different kinds of ADHD. And so sitting in class and listening, you know, for 30 straight minutes just wasn't going to happen at that age. They can both do it now. Now that they have managed themselves and understand themselves a whole lot more. You know, my daughter's getting her PhD. So, yeah, they can sit through class and do hard stuff. But it wasn't until, and it was, you know, I wish it would have been discovered. Well, I didn't even know there was such a thing <laughs> in my world. I don't suffer from that. I suffer from the opposite. can only do one thing at a time, and that's all. 
So this was a total strange thing to me. And I could have really messed up my kids by going the punishment route or the withholding with it route, or whatever. I finally just said, I don't know, what's happening? I'm going to just let you go do your thing and tell you that I love you and, and not make you feel horrible. And it turned out to, to be pretty good. And so I took a lot from that in my dog training when I'm going, okay, this dog seems like this. It seems like it's real resistant. It seems stubborn, not a word that you'll almost ever hear me use. It seems like all this stuff. But what is it actually? What's really happening? Is it just not understanding? Is the way that I'm communicating with it? So, and I'll give you an example of this. This is a, the other part of this. So dogs have great mental health, fair mental health, sometimes very poor mental health. If you don't figure it out, then you'll never be able to get around it or work with it or maybe help you both out in whatever your long-term goal is with this dog. But I was working with somebody and they were telling me, okay, tell me what to do with this dog. I'm trying, and I think it was force fed, I think. Um, and how do I do this? What do I do? Give me this step, this step. So how many times should I do that? Six times to the right and six times to the left. And I'm just, I'm, I'm just looking at this very intelligent person. Known him a long time. And I go, no, no. And I, you know, and well, then what? Should I do it just a couple times and stop? Should I? And, and so the recipe thing, you know, that I don't speak very highly of. And I said, I don't have a clue. I can't tell you how many times to do it to the right and to the left. I got to see your dog and see what they are saying about this whole thing. I don't know how anybody can train a dog by being told exactly what to do. I just don't. I, you know, I've never been able to do that. So he said, once he told me where his dog was and all of this, I want to know if I should do this and this. And I said, okay, I can't tell you anything. Just, just give me the dog. And I'll, I'll tell you this. It gets the dog out. Female. Super intelligent. Right? Dogs jumping all over everything. Doesn't, you know, all excited to be there. Just, woo, just having a big time. Right? So he's letting her, you know, air out a little bit, right? And that's what he's thinking. And I'm sitting there going, man, her mind's all over the place. Not on anything. Not on what we're doing. Why are we here? What's happening? Nothing. Okay? That's the first thing I noticed. I mean, that's not a judgment either. That is just an observation. And so then he's telling me some more stuff. And it's all I said, can I take the dog? May I? Can I just do this? I haven't seen her now for a little while. I haven't seen you. I don't know where you are. You're asking me all these real specific things. I know nothing. I can say nothing. Can I just take your dog and work with her a little bit? Sure. So I get her on the on the leash. I, I don't have a choke chain. That's what I like. But he doesn't have one there, so I'm going to go with the little flat collar that I don't care for. And you now he puts the electric collar on. I'm like, I'm not using that. <laughs> now that I don't use them, but it's like, I know nothing. I, the last thing I'm going to start doing is bolt the lightning right here. So we get the dog out, and, and so I start working obedience with her. And this is real important, those of you that are kind of into this thing. So I get out, and I just start to heal and sit, right? Just heal and sit. Well, she'll heal, but as soon as we sit, she has to face wherever he is. They have a, an extremely strong connection. You know, and so that's not, I mean, she's technically sitting, but... <laughs> It really has very little to do with me other than we're attached at the leash. 
So that's what I'm getting. Is this dog is enduring me right now, wanting to just get back to him. So I don't decide to clobber her. I don't decide to give her a treat to get her focused on me. I just keep going. And so now we're healing and sitting. I keep my voice just like this, just calm and regular, a little scratchy. <laughs> but just keep it going, right? And we walk and we heal and we sit. And every time that she tries to turn around or do her little facing or looking at him, I use my, my leash and collar and just, I say the word heal or sit, whichever one's appropriate. And I just use a real quick little impulse, a little jerk, and get her the right way. And, and But I stay calm. And I never feed into the woo crazy. And I never, you know, get frustrated because she's not paying attention or not doing something. I just let the minutes go by. And then we're healing forwards. And then we're healing backwards. And at first she's like, what? And I know I've seen her. I've done that with her before. So it's like I just do some little jerks low. Um, and then pretty soon she starts heal, a little backward healing with me. Until pretty soon, probably two or three minutes have gone by maybe, of complete calm and me not responding to anything at all. Nothing. We're just, I just want her to heal and sit. And then I can start doing little trick stuff. You know, I can be walking forward and then kind of back up and whirl around. So she's got to keep moving back on my left side and sit. And after several minutes, I have the dog healing and sitting facing the same way I am when we sit not just looking to escape to him every moment and most importantly of all thinking about what I'm saying and what I'm doing right goal met so the problem wasn't oh she's crazy oh, I gotta I gotta thump her I gotta get after her. the problem was her mind was on anything but this and she didn't really want to be doing it and so I just said, yeah, I get that. And then we just did it. And I never let her escape the work. I never let her not sit down. I never let her not heal or do whatever I asked. But I wasn't, it wasn't this big punishment thing. It was, I was just calm. And I just patiently stayed with it. And so then, then once I got her head engaged with me and the work, then we started a little bit of the force switch. And I won't go on and on and on. But so I went, I went, but I went over and said, okay, this is why I can't tell you, yes, pick up six times to the right and six times to the left. Because if she's not fully with you, that really doesn't make any difference. You're not really going to get it. So the first thing you have to do on this real flighty, real intelligent little female that it's like a kind of a, like a teenage girl who can get real excited real fast, real worried real fast, real anxiety real fast. I'm just going to kind of take those doorways out and we're just going to do some work. And then she did really well. And then believe it or not, so then we do a little walk and fetch to the one way. And then we do a little walk and fetch to the other side. And then we go get some on the right and left. And this is one thing, and for all you force stretchers, I'm going to get on. I do not believe in the pinch them all the way to the to the end result. And I know that's what a lot of, not the not the ones that I got to review my book. They don't do that. I learned from them. But but the you know where you grind it. I'm going to pinch your ear all the way till it's in your mouth. So you have to endure pressure until we reach the end result. And this is not the kind of dog you do that to. 
and he had that's how he had learned and that's how he was doing it when she didn't pick something up or picked it up and dropped it he would pinch her he'd say fetch and then pinch all the way to picking up the bumper again when you do that kind of training with a dog with electricity or with uh, any kind of training pressure they have to endure it whether they're giving you effort or not they have to endure it they are subject to it so when they give effort they're still getting it so when you take a dog like this a real sensitive kind of flighty female she's not going to reach and grab that thing the next time because all she knows is every time you say fetch if i don't do anything right i just get just just sort of ground into this thing and when you grind on a dog that doesn't mentally grind very well you don't get good results and so all i did was if she ever did a, you know didn't pick it up or went down part way and then didn't or picked it up and then spit it out i would just say fetch give out one little pinch just a real quick one just like my jerks on the leash are just little jerks i just give that little pinch and she and because she didn't have to endure it she knew what i wanted she just popped down there and grabbed that stuff so by the end of this we had bumpers on the right and bumpers on the left and i don't even count i didn't keep count how many but until that dog was looking at me popping over to the right and picking them left then we moved them around behind her so we had a little bit of a back pile and this is just three four feet away that's it distance not the goal and then I could get her to turn to the right and go back and turn to the left and go back once or twice. You know, when she didn't get it, I gave her one chance, fetch. She picked it up good. If she didn't, I'd go do that quick pinch. Anyway, we just just moved through everything. And she was much farther along than he thought because I was interacting with this dog in a way that she was completely comfortable with and understood. It was quick. It was light, it was fairly immediate, and it was completely consistent. There was no place for getting wildly emotional. If she made a boo-boo, that's all right. You don't get killed for that. If you didn't give me effort, I was going to make sure that you did, but I wasn't going to make you endure and grind through something. I was just going to let you know, hey, I need to do this, boom. And with those little light, smart, mental dogs like that, that works really well. So I sat down and said, okay. And, you know, of course, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that. But I mean, it's like, that's why I can't tell you. Yeah, always do six to the right and six to the left. I don't have a clue. You can't do any to the right and left if the dog isn't, one, fully engaged with you. How do you get that? Are you going to grind them into being engaged with you so we're doing the fear-based training? Or equally bad, are you going to give it a treat so it's paying attention to you because it wants food? which is still not engaged with you and trying to understand what it is you want them to do and give effort. Nobody gives effort for a treat unless you're just food-based. Food-based has nothing to do with any of this. And so, trying to, let me see if I can kind of pull all this together, but trying to get people to understand a couple things. One, don't train by doing what you're supposed to be doing. You need to have a program. You need to know what the steps are. You need to be familiar with them so that you can, in some form, move through those steps as you progress to whatever your end goal is. In this case, it's to 
fetch whatever toll, bring it back, he'll sit and hand it to me when I ask you for it. And don't drop it in the mud or jack around with it or carry it by the rope or any of that kind of stuff. The carry by the rope thing. That gets everybody. They carry by the rope. Well, what do you think that means? Well, they're not supposed to carry it by the rope. What are they supposed to do? Well, a lot of times, not always, but a lot of times when they're carrying it by the rope, it's because it's like, yeah, whatever. That's just like a teenage kid going, yeah, whatever. Instead, it would be better if you gave them a little bit more to think about. Like, I need to get back in there right now with this thing. I need to get back in and sit down. I got to do what they're telling me to do. Not because I'm going to be beat up if I'm not, but because that's the nature of this interaction. Boom. Called me. I got to come in and sit down. Then you don't have to carry it by the rope stuff. So everybody gets has all these mechanisms for dealing with carrying by the rope when the problem is the dog is going, whatever. There's your problem. You got to figure out how not to have that. So if you got one that does that, there's a million ways they do that. Eh, whatever. That's like when they sit crooked or sit and then get up or stare any. They don't have to be staring you in the eyes, but they have to be engaged with you. If they're ignoring you and just wishing they were over there in the field chasing the whatever's over there around, then you need to reel that dog in and get them back connected with you so that they're not doing that whatever. And if you don't know how to do that, you shouldn't be doing more advanced training until you got that part down. So in training any dogs or anything, and just owning a dog and having it in the house with you, if you take into account a couple things. One is what is, you know, where does this dog fall? Is Dogs actually kind of get down. I don't know if it's like a human depression because I, I don't know enough about that to speak intelligently. But they can get pretty defeated. Like the dog that just got ground all the time to a bumper. She was just like, oh, not this again. I hate this. Because there was no way out. She saw no way to get past this, to learn and move on and not have to get ground on. So they can get very, just kind of defeated. And so understand when you're looking at a dog that feels kind of defeated. And it's something that has happened between the two of you that makes them feel that way. So a lot of self-evaluation is important. I don't care if you own a Lhasa Apso or the national champion. It, it's their living things that have that. Sometimes they think they own the world because they do. <laughs> and so they knock you out of the way or they get on, they get up on the cabinet or they basically do whatever they want with, without any regard to how you feel about it. Okay. That isn't a dog that you need to beat up. That's a dog that you have to go look at the owner and said, how have I taught this dog that they get whatever they want, that I am secondary and they are primary? What have I done to do that? And similarly, if you're having difficulties with a dog, let's say they're having difficulty, it appears in your eyes that they're having difficulty learning what you want, right? then what could you, if this was a kid of yours and you're trying to teach them mm, how to drive, you're not going to go out there and teach them how to drive like you learned and then if they don't learn it, just dump them and quit. I mean, it's not you're not going to do that. You're either going to find somebody else to help teach them how to drive or you're going to have to alter what you're doing so that what you're doing and saying and showing and having them do, 
makes sense to them in their world. And it's the same thing with dogs. I think that's why all of these, especially now that I'm out in the real dog world, which is still shocking to me, when I see the things that people do, have been taught to deal with their dog. People with aggressive dogs, people use food to keep their dog from being aggressive. That is so hard for me. It's like, give me your dog. He won't be aggressive anymore. I will give him something else to think about so that attacking my winter dog, who's off leash and, or on leash and way far away, is not even an option in this dog's mind. So people find these crutch ways of trying to at least mask or keep a behavior from being too much of a problem without understanding what the behavior is, where did it come from, why does the dog feel it can do that, and how can I change that? Not by giving them food, because then if you don't have food, then they're going to want to attack my wiener dog again. How about they don't think they can go out there to attack anything, but instead they <laughs> go out there and get exercise or whatever it is you're doing. So understand that, that training your dog, you need to look and see what you have and look at their behaviors. And then when you're talking about their behaviors, where did they learn them? You know, if you just got this dog from somebody else, they learned them from someone else. If you've had this dog, they've learned them from you. And then address, address what is in that dog's head before you're training it, while you're training it, and make sure that you end up with that dog's head being in the right place. That's like the secret to all good dog training. It's particularly the secret, folks. When you're training one of those dogs that's not perfect, that you just sort of give them that page in the book and go, just read this part, this is what you do. You know, there's not very many of those. And so when you have a dog like all of us have, then you have to be the one to make the adjustments. You're the one that has to sit back, quit being judgmental, quit being and having all the answers, and sit there and go, what have we got? What's happening here? What am I seeing? What do I want to call this? And I do that with everybody when I'm working with their dogs. I'm going, so what's your dog telling you right there? Well, then they're waiting for me to tell them what their dog's telling them right there. It's like, no, I already got that. You need to get that. You need to develop the mental skills to sit there and go, I think this dog is telling me that I'm just not that big of a deal to him. Or this dog is telling me that they're afraid. And you have to respond to the dog's state of mind as you begin to go into whatever work and things that you're doing with the dog. So mental issues and mental illness in dog is definitely there. I've seen dogs that look, again, I'm no expert, Autism still confuses me a great deal, but I've seen dogs that certainly seem like they're a little bit that way. I, I've seen dogs that are very defeated, call it depressed, but they would just go away and lay down and never do anything again with you if they, if they had a choice. I've seen dogs that really struggle to understand the world they're in. And that may seem odd. You know, there's people that are that way. There are people that way. My brother was one. I don't know that he ever really wanted to be here. And he ever really understood what the deal was. Super smart guy. But very not okay. And gone now. Long gone. Um, so I know that there are dogs that have something like that too. When they're really not understanding 
the world that you're trying to shoehorn them into. And so if you see that and kind of put a little heart in there, see if you can get them to meet you somewhere in the middle. You find something that has meaning to them, whether it's uh, swimming in the pond, you know, or it's chasing butterflies, or it's um, taking a walk with you without a bunch of stuff around, or something. Somewhere you find something that gives it, you know, maybe it's your cat. You know, when it's with the cat, it, it seems to be very, very comfortable. When you have dogs that not sure they always fit here, they usually, they can, dogs that feel like they don't fit here, like my brother, wind up taking themselves out. And so you've got to be cautious, just like with people, that you understand that they don't fit in. And sometimes if you work a little bit, you can find things that do where they are comfortable, where they do find meaning. And I find that to be a lot more common than people probably realize. So this is just my podcast for people who love their animals to give it a little bit of thought on the mental state of their dog. One, when you're going to work with them and train them, make sure you have the mental state going that you need. If they're terrified or afraid or confused or hate it or they're enduring it and not learning a thing, you have to make those changes. And if they have difficulty interacting with you or the world they're in, um, or it doesn't make sense to you, look a little closer. Just remember, it's like people. Man, there's just different things going up, going on in there, and it's really nice if you can um, help out. And again, when you have a small uh, gene pool from which your dog comes, um, you may or may not have some mental issues, just like with people. Or if you have breeding two different kind of weird breeds so that you have like cool hair or whatever it is, sometimes hybrid vigor is good and sometimes it is not. And I, you know, I'm just so opposed to breeding for what the hair looks like or the ears or stuff. So I, you know, again, quit, quit messing with Mother Nature too much. That's just not the coolest thing. Um, but think about your dogs from a real, their humanity, right? From the real inside. In your dog training, you might be surprised how much more effective you can be when you get their head in the right place before you start trying to teach or do new things. It really does make a difference. And the key to that is not force. The key to, to that is not your brilliance. The key to that is your patience and your calmness. That is the answer to that and probably most things. So just something to think about. It's real important to me and, and I would, if I could get this across to people, it would thrill me to death. So that's today's podcast. Winter, uh, atmospheric rivers, flooding, all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So I, everybody get through this, this crazy winter safe and sound if you possibly can. And it'll be warming up and we can start doing more and more dog things. So that's it for this week. Um, I will be back soon. And everybody stay uh, healthy, happy, and safe.